Well, take your Bibles out, if you would, please, and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to look at Peter's uh, epistle this morning, the, the chief apostle. That Jesus considered to be the chief apostle, told him to feed the sheep. <clears throat> now, the uh, first uh, letter that Peter wrote, he wrote it to the saints that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, but there was a certain portion of that was written to a specific group, and we're going to be getting into that a little bit later on this morning. So if you'll turn your attention to chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Let me say that again. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Let's pray. Father... We thank you so much for your word, God. We know, Lord, that it is literally the bread of life, God. It is the water that sanctifies us, Lord, and sets us apart, Lord, that cleanses us, Lord, that renews our mind, Father God. It is the oil, God, that fills our vessel, Lord, and your presence through this word, God, and through living this word and doing this word is what keeps us right and holy and acceptable in your sight, Lord, you told us that we are not condemned, Lord, because there is no condemnation to those who walk in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So, God, we know that as we walk out your word, Lord, we're not condemned, but we're favored. And Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that your word will come across with clarity. God, I pray for the anointing of your spirit to come, Lord, both on me, the speaker and those that hear your word today. Father, may your will be accomplished here in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, if anybody knew what it was like to be on the opposite side of vigilance, Peter would know that. When we look at Luke chapter 22, verse 31, it says this, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Aren't you glad Jesus is praying for you? The Bible says He is interceding for us. Man, I'm glad you pray for me, but I'm really glad that Jesus is praying for me. Amen. He said, I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you even know me. So Peter knew what it was like to be on the opposite side of vigilance. He knew what it was like to be neglectful. He knew what it was like to be forgetful, to be in, uh, uh, what's a, in initiative. Is that the word? I don't know. Careless. He knew what it was like to be, get blindsided by the enemy. Because the roaring lion, the Bible says, he's roaming about to and fro seeking whom he may devour. He knew what it was like to have the lion nipping at his heels. To get blindsided by the enemy to not be vigilant. Now what does it mean to be vigilant? The dictionary said it means to be keenly alert. To be heedful of trouble. To be heedful of danger as while others are sleeping. It means to be ever alert and awake. To be carefully observant and attentive. 
to be on the outlook for possible danger. Because there can be dangerous situations just waiting for you to harm you, to even kill you. I know all about this because we just, I just went through something very similar to this. Sister Dawn's with us this morning, and I was telling her, Jeannie came up to Northern Virginia to see her the other day. And she drove our car up there, and she said, Bernie, my car is going when you take off, and it's wobbling. And then it's, when it stops wobbling, it's going like that. Well, she drives all the way to Northern Virginia and back like that. Well, I knew before she left that it was doing I said, take my truck. And she says, well, the truck doesn't have air conditioning. So she, she drove the car. Well, when she gets back, I said, don't drive it anymore until I get a chance to look at it and see what's wrong with it. So I finally got it up in the shop, and I backed it up and jacked it up. And the first tire I took off had this great big huge bulge on the side of it and had a split about this long and the wire sticking out. And how it didn't explode, I, God was in it. And I carried it up to the house. I said, honey... God was with you. Because there is no way that tire would not explode. Well, now what happened? One of us wasn't being vigilant. I won't say which one. Maybe I should have took a better look. Maybe I should have looked at that tire sooner. I don't know. But it's a good idea to look at your car once in a while. Amen? I mean, you don't buy a brand new car and just drive the thing like forever. And never check it out once in a while. Now, last week I was actually working on a sermon I was going to entitle Routine Maintenance. Kind of along these same lines. And uh, I was thinking about the importance of maintenance to, to your car. Because that's something that we don't, as young people, grow up always knowing. I had to be taught these things. Now, I was taught not by my dad. My dad wasn't a mechanic. He just wasn't mechanically inclined. He would carry his car and get it worked on by mechanics, you know. Well, I'm too cheap to do that. I'm just being honest. I'm too cheap to do that. Plus, I had a mechanic crook me. When I was a teenage boy and I decided I'll never happen again, I'll work on my own car from now on. So I learned how to work on my own car. And I can pretty much tear it down from bumper to bumper, top to bottom, and rebuild everything on it. You know, but I had to learn those things because I didn't know that. I didn't know you're like just supposed to check the oil once in a while. My dad had a 1965 Dodge something or other, had a 383 V8 engine in it. And when I first got my driver's license, I almost put it in a ditch because I got down on it. Man, that thing spun around. And when I stopped, I was looking at the ditch. And I decided maybe I better not do that again. But it didn't have loud mufflers. And all my buddies had loud mufflers. And I couldn't afford a loud muffler. So I found this station on the radio that I could turn. And it would get static. And the engine would go... Through the radio. And it sounded cool, man. And so I'd put that thing like a... And that three eighty three four barrel would run. I raced it a few times, you know. Well, Dad didn't check the oil. And neither did I. And all of a sudden, the thing starts slowing down and slowing down. Well, it finally just quit. Well, we found that there was no oil in the engine. And Dad had to put a new three eighty three engine. So it's a good idea to maintenance your... Car once in a while, right? Check the oil. My father-in-law was the one that taught me how to do that. We call him Papa. It's Jeannie's dad. Because he was a mechanic for 25 years. And his thing was check your car. He did it religiously. 
Every single Sunday without fail, he would get up and have his coffee, his morning Sunday, Richmond Time Dispatch newspaper, and before the day was out, he'd have the hood up on his car, and he would check all the fluids, the oil, the water, the power steering fluid, the transfer, everything. And he was always preaching to his six sons, have you checked your oil? Because he knew what no oil in your car would do, right? And when I would come up for a visit before I left, the hood on my car truck would be open and Papa would be under it checking it out. And he loved to catch it a quart low because you'd hear about it. Well, I come up one time. I had a 1974 Ford Courier pickup truck and there was no heat. And so I pulled in and I said, something's wrong with my truck. There's no heat. So here's Papa. He pops the hood open and he first thing he did is took the radiator cap off. He said, well, son, you got to put water in it before you can have heat. Because I found out if you don't have enough water, it will cool the engine, but it won't circulate through the heater coil. So you learn these things. And so I had to learn some of these things the hard way. And sometimes you learn the hard way. And even after you get to know how to do these things, sometimes you're neglectful. And you forget to do these things. So it's grass cutting season. How many loves to cut grass? Well, something's wrong with you. I do it because I have to do it. And I've, I've got a snapper lawnmower. I've had snappers for, I don't know, since forever because they're rebuildable and they're dependable. And so that thing had a 12-and-a-half horsepower Briggs & Stratton engine on it. Well, it finally just wore completely out. So I had another because I got three or four of them, and I put them all together to make one good one, you know. And so I had another one that had a good engine on it. So I took that thing off, and I did all the everything that I needed to do to it and got all the alignments and got the belts adjusted and everything, and I'm ready to cut grass. And I hop on this thing, I fired it up, and I'm mowing grass, and it starts getting slower and slower and slower. I'm like, what is wrong with this thing? I'm revving it up a little bit more, and it just gets to where it doesn't want to go. And then it occurred to me, did you put oil in this thing? And I, for the life of me, I couldn't remember putting oil in it. Well, guess what? I didn't put oil in it. So I, st- I shut it off real quick, and I went to got some oil, and I put oil in. I'm like, oh, Lord, I hope I'm not too late. I fired it up, and it seemed like it was doing all right. I made about four more rounds, and that thing said, kaboom! And it threw a rod right, just, just ruined my good $650 worth of engine. So sometimes you learn the hard way. So what, what I've titled the message this morning is, you're headed for a breakdown. Because, folks, if you don't put oil in your tank, you're headed for a breakdown. Can somebody say amen? amen? You're headed for a breakdown. And some people just have to learn it the hard way. Some people will take better care of their engine than they will their own eternal soul. Because we're very much like that. Folks, we've got to have oil in our engine or we will break down. Jesus told a story about five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. Five of them kept oil in their lamp. Five of them didn't have any oil. They let their oil run out. And when the bridegroom came, they weren't ready to meet him. Because you've got to do some regular maintenance on your spirit. And keep your oil tank full. Or you're headed for a breakdown. Amen? And so it's very important that we, <clears throat> we understand this. Folks, some people, if they get a squeak in their car, they'll tear that thing apart to find out where that squeak is. But their life can be spiritually falling apart and they just keep running it like nothing's wrong. Running with no oil in the car. And you're headed for a breakdown. Spiritual oil, gone. 
Holy Spirit has departed. Doesn't even know it. Just drive it on just like nothing's wrong. But if you don't have oil in your tank, you're headed for a breakdown. Sometimes we have to learn these things the hard way. I had a 1986 Chevy 327 blueprinted balanced engine in that thing. Loud mufflers on this one. I didn't have to pretend, brother. I mean, that thing, boy, you'd shower down and say, and, and I stayed in it all the time. I had to be careful so I didn't get a ticket. And I was driving that thing to work. I was a foreman. I had 27 men working for me. And I got on the job, and I had to fire a man that day. And this man was not a nice man. I won't say his name because this is going on recording, and he might hear it if he's still alive. But he was a mean man, and he was known to carry a pistol in his boot. And uh, it's construction, all right? And so I had to fire him, and, and I let him go, and a guy told me, he said, he's going to be waiting for you in the parking lot this evening. He said, he carries a pistol in his boot, and he's proficient with it. I wasn't so sanctified back in those days. I said, well, if I get to my truck, it'll be a fair fight is all I can tell you. And so I got out there, and I touched that 327 off. She said, boom, boom, and just quit. I thought, he did something to my truck. Well, the timing jumped on it. If anybody knows what that is, Chevrolet, I mean, they never break down, but sometimes it's possible, you know. They had this fiber gear in it, and the, the gears let go, and the timing jumps on it. Bill shaking his head. He worked as a parts man for, what, 20-some years? 35 years of parts salesman. You don't know anything about car parts, see this man right here. He can tell you all about it. If you're driving a car, just go ask him, what parts am I going to wind up buying for my car? And he can tell you. Amen? Very interesting conversation. So this thing jumped timing. So I got it home, man, and I pulled the radiator out. I pulled the fan off. I pulled the water pump off. I pulled the timing chain cover off, the harmonic balancer and all that. Got in there to the chain. Put a new one on it. Got the piston on top, dead center. Got everything lined up, timing marks. Got everything. Put it all back together, and I put a whole gallon of antifreeze in that thing. And I had another gallon of water. By this time, it's past midnight, and i got to get up at 4.30 the next morning to get to work. And I am completely exhausted, so I go to bed. Next morning, I get up, hop in my 327. I'm going down the interstate, and sure enough, it starts slowing down. It didn't have a temperature gauge on it. You learn the hard way. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? And so I shut it off, and I can hear the water in the engine boiling. I'm like, oh, it dawned on me. I didn't put enough water in this thing. But there's a creek over the next hill. If I can just get over the next hill, I'll put water. So I got down there, filled it up, and I'm like, I'm good. I ran on it, cooled down, and got to work. Come home that evening, drove all the way home, all the way from Hopewell, Virginia, back up here to Louisa. This is way back when Nathan was a baby. This is 35, 30 some years ago. And so I got home and had to go to some ball game or something that night. So I hopped in my truck and I'm going down the road and all of a sudden, buddy, it sounded like a cage full of monkeys with hammers under my hood. And I looked in the mirror and I couldn't even see the car behind me because all the steam was rolling out of them dual exhaust. And I mean, everything inside of it come loose because it overheated. Folks, you got to have water in your tank, or you're headed for a breakdown. The Bible says that the Word of God is the water that sanctifies us. In Ephesians 5, we are sanctified by the washing of the water of His Word. We're set apart by that. And if we don't keep a consistent flow of this Word in our tank, friend, you are headed for a breakdown. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Say amen. You're headed for a breakdown. And sometimes we've got to learn those things the hard way. James chapter 1 verse 9 says, verse 19 through 25 says this. 
So then, my brethren, beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, he's talking about the righteousness of God, how to be in right standing with God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Receive. Take it in. Don't just listen to it. Take it in. The implanted word which is able to save your soul and be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if any man is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, he who looks at it and continues in it, he's got a constant flow of the word of God. And he's doing what it says. He says he is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Isn't it interesting that he would put work there instead of word? He's a continual doer of the work. This one will be blessed in his doing. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? He said, if you drink the water that I'll give you, it's living water, he says. And it shall spring up as a well of water inside of you to everlasting life. We've got to take that water in and continually take it in because not doing what he says, not doing what he says, you're headed for a breakdown. Now, if you're not vigilant, you're definitely headed for a breakdown. He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he said, resist him. We need to resist him steadfast. You know what that tells me? He can devour you. And folks, I know all power was given to Jesus both in heaven and earth. He said, go out in that power. And whatsoever things you bind, it's bound in the spirit realm. Whatsoever things you loose, it's loosed in the spirit realm. He is a defeated foe. We have the authority of Jesus Christ, and we operate and walk in that authority. I understand that. But to think that you can never be reached or touched by the power of Satan and be devoured by him, you are deceiving yourself. Because he is roaming around outside the sheepfold looking for someone to go astray that he can and will devour. And the only way you can prevent that is you have to constantly be diligent to resist him. If your spiritual car is falling apart and you're just clunking along like nothing is wrong, he's going to devour you. Folks, we've got to keep a regular maintenance on this thing. On this thing. Our soul, our spirit. We need to take as good a care of our soul as we would our car, our lawnmower, and all those things that we kind of keep a check on. Check on your oil and your water. Now, how do we resist him? I can tell you how you don't resist him. If you are submitting to His will, that's not resistance. Folks, the Bible says we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities, 
spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of the darkness of this world, demonic forces, and they look like the light. They put on sheepskins. And folks, if you don't have discernment operating, it can look, sound, and act like the Holy Spirit. And if you submit to that thing, you're not resisting it. The only way you can resist Him is submission to the Word of God, regardless of what you think about it. Amen? Because the Word of God, is, it's what it says, and He says, don't just hear it, do it. And if you submit to the Word of God, that is resisting Him. But folks, my experience in ministry has taught me some people will not submit to anything but their own opinion. If God's work makes sense to me, then I'll submit to it. If I understand it, I can explain it, or I'll go along with it, i agree with it, I will submit to it. Well, that's not submitting to the Word of God. That's submitting to your own opinion. The Bible calls it pride. Submitting to your own arrogant pride. And if you are submitting only to your opinion and not the Word of God, friend, you are, I guarantee you, you're headed for a breakdown sooner or later. Because you can't keep running like that. The Bible says, God says, I will not be mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. How many of you know that's true? Is God's words true? Yes. Yes, it is true. Submission requires a complete abandonment of your pride. It requires total humility. Folks, there are things that I run across in the Bible all the time that doesn't, Tony, it doesn't make a lick of sense to me. I can't explain it. I ran into something studying last night, and I, I go on all kind of rabbit paths. If you've ever taught, if you've ever stood and taught a biblical class or biblical study, most of the study that you do in preparation for what you're teaching will have nothing to do with what you're teaching. Am I right, Mark? Because you'll get that, it's like, well, what is that talking about? I don't understand it. And you'll spend hours searching something and researching something that's got absolutely nothing to do with what you're getting ready to speak on. I ran across some of those things preparing this sermon. I'm like, God, what is that talking about? That doesn't make sense. I thought he did this over here and that over there. And I'm like, I don't understand this. What does Proverbs 3 say? Trust in the Lord with all your might. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways. Acknowledge Him. And He will direct your path. It's got nothing to do with my opinion, whether it gets my vote, whether I agree with it or not. Just whatever His Word says. If we will do it, folks, if we will do it, you'll keep oil in your tank, you'll keep water in your tank. Oh, man. Well, I could preach all day on this, but I better get back to my point here. First Peter chapter 5. I want you to read this because, see, I just took chapters 5, verse 8 and 9. And I don't like just taking a verse and jerking it out of the context. Let's see what he's talking about. Because, you see, Peter is addressing, if you look at chapter 1, verse 1, he's addressing those that scattered abroad, and then he names all these cities throughout the Roman Empire. The Christians that are scattered throughout. But in chapter 5, he takes a detour and he addresses a specific group of people. 
Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, which are known as the pastoral epistles, because he wrote them to pastors, specifically to pastors. And we think of that as the pastoral epistles. But few people recognize the fact that Peter also wrote to pastors. And he did that in 1st Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. He says, the elders, now the word elder there, it means a shepherd or a pastor. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ. So he says, I'm also a shepherd or a pastor. And also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd or pastor the flock of God which is among you. Serve as overseers. Not by compulsion. Not because you're compelled to do that. Because folks, I can tell you. From the day that I started pastoring until the present day, I have never been compelled to be a pastor. In fact, my dad was a pastor, and I swore I would never be a pastor. And I told God, I said, when you put it in the sky and 40-foot neon lights for 40 days and 40 nights, I will answer the call. But until you do that, the answer is no. Count me out, because there's nothing that you should be compelled to do if you... You probably have no idea what I'm talking about. So he said, you don't have to be compelled to do it, but you do it willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. In other words, during this time, they would bring all the offerings and lay it at the apostles' feet. So if you brought all your tithes and gave it to me, and I'm supposed to hand it out to the deacons to make sure that they go feed the widows and the orphans, which is what they did, I could very easily say, hmm. One for you and ten for me, and one for you and fifteen for me. So he said, you don't do it for dishonest gain. Filthy lucre, the King James says. But you do it eagerly. Not as being lords over those that's entrusted to you. Because you could do that. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. So when God calls a person to be in a position of spiritual authority, of spiritual leadership, a pastor or a shepherd, He is given the, the, the privilege and the awesome responsibility of watching out for the souls of those that He is ministering to. I was talking to someone this week and he said, People are coming into my office and sitting down and saying, I need your counsel. And he says, it scares the bejeebies out of me. I said, it's a, it's a frightening thing to hold the soul of a man in your hands, isn't it, brother? He said, yeah. What do I say to them? I said, you say to them the same thing that I say to people when they come for my counsel. The Bible says, you want to know what's wrong? The Bible says, this is what's wrong. You want to know how to fix it? The Bible says, this is how you fix it. Because Pastor B's opinion doesn't matter. Amen? But what God has to say about it is the answer. And anything that we say contrary to that or outside of that is just man's opinion. And it doesn't help anybody. Only the Word of God is what helps us. And we have to be careful, folks, that we don't start running. Folks, we can, we can understand this and we can become arrogant and prideful about what God is doing in our life. Have you ever thought about Elijah? Do you mind if I preach this morning? Have you ever thought about Elijah? Why did he run from Jezebel? Here is a man who, who goes and says, It will not rain again until I say so. 
And for three and a half years, not one drop of rain fell. And so here comes Ahab, the king, and he tells, uh, I believe it was Obadiah. He said, Obadiah, we're going to lose all of our flock. You take part of the flock and go that way and try to find water. I'm going to take part and go this way. And so Obadiah, he's got the flock, and here he goes. And he runs up on Elijah, and he said, I know who you are. You're Elijah. And he said, go and tell Ahab I need to meet him. He said, man, Elijah, he's sent everywhere looking for you to try to kill you. If I go and you come back and you're not here, he'll kill me. He said, God is my witness, I'll be here. So he goes and gets Ahab. And Ahab comes up and he says, you're the one that has troubled Israel. He said, I have a troubled Israel, but you have. He said, go and gather the 400 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asher and bring them here and bring all the children of Israel here. And so he assembles all of them. And he looks at the children of Israel and he says, How long will you be caught between two opinions? If Baal be God, then serve him. But if God be God, we will serve him. Now you tell the prophets to go and get a bull, build an altar, pull the bull on it, and I'm going to build an altar. He set up 12 stones for the tribes of Israel and he put a bull on top of the wood. He said, You call out to Baal and I'll call out to God. The one that answers by fire, let him be God. Because Elijah knew... That when he prayed, God heard his prayer. Let me tell you something about Pastor B. When I pray, God hears my prayer. And I know that. I know that. And so he cries out to God. The the, the prophets of Baal, they cry out to God for nine hours. And so Elijah starts to mock him. He said, cry a little bit louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's on a journey somewhere. Maybe he's asleep. You've got to wake him up. And so they cut themselves with lances so that the blood gushed out as were their custom, the Bible says. And he said, cry a little bit louder. Maybe he's going to relieve himself. And so after they got through, he tells the servants, he said, go get four barrels of water and pour it on the offering. Now, folks, it hadn't rained for three and a half years. This is more precious than gold. Four, four barrels, pour it. Do it again. Do it the third time. Twelve barrels of water. And then he says, now fill the trench around it. Nine hours. And Baal has not answered. In a matter of minutes, he cries out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He said, O God, so that they may know that you are God and that I am your servant, answer by fire. And God licked up the water, consumed the offering, the wood and the water, and boom. And so then he goes up and he says, tell Abraham, prepare because I hear the abundance of the sound of rain. And he went up and he sent a servant. He said, what do you see? He said, I see a cloud the size of a hand's man, a, a, a man's hand. And so he runs and the skies grow dark and it rains. And then Ahab goes and tells that little twit of a woman named Jezebel all that he done. And she said, by this time tomorrow, if he's not like one of the prophets... May God do to me and more. The gods do to me and more. And this great man of God, who had just witnessed the power of God, takes off running. Why? I have asked that question so many times. Why did he run from her? The Bible doesn't say. But I'm going to interject my opinion here. Pride. Folks, if you're prideful, you're headed for a breakdown. 
He runs and sits under a juniper tree. Says, God, I'm no better than my father's. Take my life. Lays down and goes to sleep because when he prays, God hears him, right? <laughs> He's getting ready. <laughs> In his mind. But this is a good thing about God. He offers roadside service. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad of that? Because he wakes up and an angel wakes him up and says, Get up, Elijah. And he looks and there's a cruise of water and bread baking on the coals. Angel food. Hallelujah. And so he eats that and he goes back to sleep and he wakes him up again and there's more food there. And he says, Eat again because you, the journey is going to be too long. And for 40 days he goes with the strength of that bread. Man, that angel food is some kicking stuff, brother. I'd like to have some of that. Can you imagine just eating one time every 40 days? Praise God. And so he goes in his strength. And when he gets to the cave of Adul, God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he goes back and does a greater work after that than he did before. And, and I don't know that that's the case, but I believe it's very likely that pride was what took I can't find any other reason why he would run from her. I, I can't find it. Because they sent, it was Elijah or Elisha, one, I think it was Elisha, that they sent out the, the captain and 50 men to take him prisoner. And he said, let God consume him with fire. Poof! So they sent the captain and 50 more, and he said, let God consume him with fire. Poof! A hundred people gone, just like that. Thought, so what, what is Jezebel going to do? But he's running from her. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get it, God. Why did he do that? Pride. And I believe if you're not careful, friend, David did the same thing. His men are supposed to be out at battle. He's up on the roof. When you take your eyes off of God and begin to get your eyes on the world, he's checking out Bathsheba. He's not supposed to be there. Folks, he's supposed to be in the battle. Let me tell you something about the fight against our enemy. It never ends. And if we get to a point so it's like, man, I got it made. I finally arrived. I'm going to kick back. I'm going to sit on the rooftop and let somebody else do the fighting for a while. You're headed for a breakdown. You take your eyes off the objective, you're headed for a breakdown. David broke down. Look at verse 2. He says, Shepherd your flock which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not with dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as lording over those entrusted to you, but examples to the flock. You know how you're supposed to lead your shepherd sheep? You don't go say, well, don't do as I do. Do as I say do. That, folks, if I'm that kind of pastor, ask for my resignation. All right? Don't do as I do. Do as I say do. Because I've, I've known some pastors like that. I didn't want to do what they were doing. Huh? Standing in the pulpit on Sunday morning and in the bed with somebody other than their wife before next Sunday? Nuh-uh. No, you lead by example, he said. What did the Apostle Paul say? The things you see us do, do. He said, we are epistles read by all men. What you see us do, you go and do. He said, lead by examples. He said in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, he will receive the crown of glory that does not fade. So the first four verses he's writing to the to the pastors and saying, this is what you're to do. Verse 5, and I'm almost done. Stay with me. Likewise, you younger people. In other words, those that are being shepherded. 
Submit yourselves to your elders. You know why churches have so many problems? You know why people get disgruntled and leave churches? It happens here sometimes. Can you believe that? Somebody would get mad at me. Can you believe that? They would get mad at me. I just, I'm the nicest guy in the world. Why would they get mad at me? But it happens sometimes, believe it or not. And people's like, well, our church is falling apart and this is going on. Well, just go down the road and you'll find out the same thing's going on down there or over there. Folks, I've been around for a while and it's everywhere because it's the same enemy working in every body. I don't care where you go. There are no perfect people. There certainly are no perfect pastors. Amen. Well, you said amen that time. Well, I did. Thank God for your honesty. I, it's all right. I'm not wounded. I, I didn't take offense to that. Because believe me, nobody knows my flaws better than I know them, you know. And God showed me one day. He said, I knew all that about you when I called you, son. I was like, well, you knew what you were getting into. You are omniscient, all right. So he says, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Because sheep follow shepherds. Goats, goats never go where they're supposed to be. It's like herding cats. They're never where they're supposed to be, and they butt everything. Well, yeah, but. Oh, and the goats, they sat on the left hand and the sheep on the right. Amen. Which crowd would you like to be in? Oh, well, I want to be in the sheep crowd. Amen. When we were teenagers, we used to, you know, I wouldn't sit on the left side of the church. Isn't that silly? I was like, oh, brother, that's the goat side. I'm going to sit on the right side of the church. I guess it depends on where you're facing. You know, if I'm down there, that's the right side. But if you're up here, that's... Oh, it don't matter. But he says, submit to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Folks, submission is a total abandonment of your right to be right. It's a total abandonment of your opinion. It is total submission to what God says, period. And then he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to those that are humble. Resist, that word resist means he resists as one putting on his armor prepared for battle to resist those that are proud. I don't want God going to war against me because of my pride. I want to submit myself to Him and be humble to Him. Therefore, verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due season. Cast your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. In other words, Lord, I don't agree with what they're doing here. It doesn't make sense to me. But you know what, God? I'm not going to try to worry about that. I'm just going to cast my care on you and do what you said. Because I've seen men of God just making some huge blunders. Folks, I've done it. I know of a man right now, he's making huge blunders. And somebody thinks it's their duty to correct this man. And as lovingly as I knew how, I said, it's not your job to correct this man. God raised him up. God called him. God put him in that ministry. And God will deal with him. And if you think it's your job to correct this man, you're wrong. 
You cast your cares on God. He will take care. Folks, if I'm doing some bonehead stupid thing, which I've done before, God will deal with that. And if you try to deal with it, you know what it's going to do? It's going to tear everything up because you're not being a doer of the Word. You're being a hearer only. And you're deceiving your own selves. Then he says in verse 8, so you've got to see the context in which he said this. After he says all these things, he said, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, he's walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. In the faith. Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We hear the Word of God and we do it. That's how we resist Him. Knowing that the same suffering are experienced in the brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. How many of you know if we just do what God tells us to do? Everything will be all right. I like Mark and Charity here as my son-in-law and my daughter. Their son, Ezra, he is a little prophet. Man, that kid can say some pretty amazing things, can't he? And we're like, where on earth did that come from? Well, Gigi, that's my wife, was talking to him one day about the devil. He said, Gigi, I'm not worried about the devil. He said, you just stay close to Jesus and everything will be all right. Out of the mouth of babes, brother. Oh, my goodness. You just stay close to Jesus and everything will be all right. Isn't that true? One last scripture and I'm going to close. Proverbs chapter 4. This is actually what I was going to use last week. And then Ron called up last minute and I booked him. My son, give attention to my word. Incline your ear to my sayings. The Amplified Version says, consent and submit to my sayings. Verse 21 do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them. And health to all their flesh. Folks, you want strength and health in your body? Do you want a healthy body? Do what God said. Keep His Word in the midst of your spirit. Keep your oil full and your water full. And He promises you health. He said, it is health to your flesh. Verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Jesus said, if you drink that living water, out of you will spring wells of living water. Life will spring from you if you will take that water in. Verse 24, put away from you the deceitful mouth. That means false and dishonest speech. And put perverse lips far from you. The Amplified says, willful and contrary talk. Put it far from you. Verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead. In other words, keep them fixed on the purpose. And your eyelids look straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. And let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your feet from evil. Would you stand to your feet, please? Hallelujah. Jesus, we bless you this morning. Hunter, why don't you guys go ahead and make your way back up here. We bless you, Jesus, for your word, because, God, it is yes and amen. It has never changed, Lord. You said heaven and earth will pass away. God, you said one day even the elements will melt with fervent heat. But your word will never pass away. We thank you for your word this morning, Lord. God, may we hear it today. 
May we hear it today, God. May we walk in it, Lord. Apply it to our lives, Lord. I pray, God, that after the message today, Lord, we will be vigilant to keep a very close check on our spiritual oil level, God, our spiritual water. We will let the Holy Spirit, and only Holy Spirit, lead us, O God. Father, we will be doers of the Word. Help us, O Lord, to be vigilant. In Jesus' name, amen. Look this way. Folks, that scripture in being vigilant was in a direct reference to spiritual authority. And I can tell you, I I told the prayer group this morning, because we go in for intercessory prayer, and I have them pray for me each and every Sunday. And I said, pray for me this morning, because what I'm struggling with today, it sounds very self-serving. Well, I'm the pastor, do what I say. And I'm not saying that, folks. I know I know my shortcomings. But I see what God says, and it's in a direct reference to being submissive to spiritual authority. And this I know, that if we do that, we will be safe inside of the sheepfold. But those who choose not to submit to spiritual authority, even though it's wrong sometimes. And folks, people can be wrong. I can be wrong. King Saul was wrong. But David submitted to him. Even though he was wrong. John Bevere does a great teaching on that called The Bait of Satan. He does another one called Undercover. You would do well to take those and listen to them. And he said in that teaching, you can be right and totally wrong at the same time. Because David had every right in the world to walk away and turn against Saul. He had an opportunity to kill him in the cave once. And he said, I will not touch God's anointed. And the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he submitted to an imperfect man. Because that imperfect man had been chosen and anointed by God. And I know that if we do that, we're safe inside the sheepfold. But those who choose not to submit, for there's only two choices. You submit or you rebel. And he told Saul, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Because rebellion is trying to usurp your will over the will of God. Because when you read Romans 13, he says all authority is given by God. And when you resist the authority, you're resisting God. And he who does it brings damnation on himself. So I said, pray for me because it sounds self-serving. But I know this is a teaching that the church needs to get hold of, folks. Because people get disgruntled about some of what I think, folks... It's childish, silly things. It's not biblical things. It's not doctrinal things. It's personality. It's just silly, childish things. I had a conversation Wednesday night. And when this person told me this, you know what I saw in the Spirit? How many of you have seen the Passion of Christ? 
You seen that movie? You remember when Barabbas was on trial and Jesus was on trial and the crowd was gathered? You remember that scene? And Satan was in this, had this hoodie on and he's slithering around through the crowd and whispering in their ear, Give us Barabbas. That's what I saw in the Spirit. Folks, when people rebel against the spiritual authority, no matter how wrong it is, they become the devil's advocate. And when people get disgruntled and they get on the phone and they try to win you and turn your heart and turn your heart, they are serving a demonic spirit. You hear me? It's a demonic spirit. The Holy Spirit does not behave that way. And they don't even see it. And they have become the center focus of the lion that will devour them, I promise you. I watch, I watch a lot of History Channel and things like that. And I watch, sometimes I watch hunting shows. And I watched this safari one time. And they went in after a wounded lion. And the PH, that's a professional hunter, said he will pick out one person. And he will go straight for that person. And brother, he did. Man, that thing come barreling out of the bush. And he had his eyes on one guy. And I, you could see the rounds hitting the side of that lion. And that man knelt down and took the rifle and shot. And when he shot, the lion knocked him down, sliding into him. Folks, I'm telling you, when people become the devil's advocate and serve a demon spirit and think they're listening to the Holy Spirit, the lion has got them in his eye target and he will come after them. And according to the authority of God's Word, he will devour them. And so I said, God, this is going to sound so self-serving, but yet the body of Christ needs to understand this. Folks, if you can't agree with me, and I almost, I, I stayed up last night tossing and toiling over this thing, saying, God, then there's not a lot going on in the church. If you guys are visiting, don't think I'm dealing with a whole bunch of crazy mess. This happens everywhere. I'm a pastor's son. I saw my dad butchered and run through a meal. I said, I don't want a part of that. I don't want a part of it. But folks, it can be done and it can be done right if we all just get our hearts right with God and just do what He says. I know it can work right. I said, God, it sounds so self-serving. But I said, Lord, the body of Christ needs to understand this. It can be done right. And, and I told I said, I'm almost ready to just take a confidentiality vote. So do you, do you believe, do you have trust in me? Because if, if it's a case of saying, well, I'm the pastor, you've got to do what I say, and you don't have a choice, then I don't want that. I'll give you a choice. If you don't think I'm the man for the job, then get the right guy in here. You know, we'll find that perfect pastor, and we'll all go submit to him. If you can find him, I'd, I'll... Right? I said, what do we do, God? How do, how do you do this thing? I said, I know that it can be done right, though, Lord. I know that he can. And if I'm messing this up, folks, there's a right way to get have differences. I've left two ministries in my lifetime because I could not agree with what they were doing. Can you turn that down just a little bit? Two ministries because I didn't agree with what they were doing. And it really wasn't doctrinal. 
But one of them, and I'll call his name, and if he hears it, he'll understand because he's, he is now a good, dear friend of mine. Mark Castro. I went to Bible college with him. He became the pastor, and I went up to help him. I was his associate pastor. And we just we came to an impasse, so we just, it just wasn't working. But this is how you do it right. And I believe it was a test. And the reason God is using me today is because I passed that test. I went to him and I said, Mark, I will go to the people and I'll say, I've missed God. By coming here, I've missed God. It's my fault. And I'm leaving so that there's no problems in your church. He said, no, I don't want you to do that. I just want you to leave. I said, all right, well, I'll just leave. But I'll be glad to take the blame. I just want you to leave. He said, I want you out of the state. I said, Mark, I can't just pack my family up and move five states away. He said, I'll pay for it. I was like, no, no, I'm not taking your money. And I looked back and it was God's ordinance because he ordained it. Because then I started going to the first ever Assembly of God church. That's how I wound up in an Assembly of God church. That was in 1986. From that day till this day. I have never spoken to one person in that entire ministry. Not one. They didn't call me. I didn't call them. Neither My wife talked to one lady. It was her, her best friend was in that church. Because the lady came to see her. And this church is off limits. We don't talk about the church. We talk about the children. We talk about anything that's off limits. Because, folks, you don't undermine God's authority. If you do, you're outside the sheepfold and there's a lion after you. I hope you hear what I'm telling you. And then 14 years ago, I got to a point where God says, you can no longer be effective in this ministry. I was unofficially serving as the associate pastor to my pastor who was at that time in his 80s. He's almost 100 years old today. How old is he? Gary, do you know? He's, he's close to 100, isn't he? Still driving his car. Sweetest man I have ever known. Just sweet. Isn't he sweet? Just got the sweetness of God in him. And I went to him and I told him, I said, Pastor, God has released me from the ministry. I'm, I'm going to be leaving. And I left with his blessing and the blessing of the deacon board. I went to my Sunday school class, some of them which are standing in this room this morning, and said, God has released Jeannie and I, but He hadn't told you to go anywhere. You submit to your pastor and you stay right here and serve Him and serve this church. Folks, there's a right way to disagree. And God will bless it. Amen? My door's always open. I carry it. Well, unless I'm preaching it's laying on the pulpit. Don't contact me via Facebook. If you want to get in touch with me, call me so I can hear your melodious voice. Or text me. Because somebody sent me a, a Facebook message that said, Gina is going in for surgery in the morning. She wants you to come by and pray for her before she goes in. Well, I get the message, and because I, I look at Facebook maybe once a week, sometimes every other week. It's not very regular. And I saw this, this little thing popped up on my face page, and I said, what is that? And I bumped it, and it was a message to me. And I'm like, she's going in for surgery in the morning. This was Saturday. They're going to do surgery on Sunday? And I said, I just opened this mail. When did you send it? 
She said, July the 7th. That was a week ago. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry I didn't know it. Don't contact me via Facebook because I ain't, I'm not going to get it, all right? But the door's always open. My phone is on. If you've got, if you want to come in and say, Pastor, I'm so mad at you, I could chew you up, spit you out, and blah, 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 you just lay it out there, brother. I will love you. Because you see, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about that. And there's people that are so mad at me right now, they could chew me up and spit me out. And you know what? I love them. Not because it feels good to love them. Because in the flesh, I like chew them up, spit them out too. But I choose to love them. Because either I'm going to do what it says, or I'm going to be in trouble. Right? And then what the, isn't that what it said? And I recognize I'm not fighting against them. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. It's a spirit at work, and I see it, and we're not having it anymore. We're taking authority over that spirit. That's why I'm here today. That's why I've said some hard things today. It's not directed at you. I'm letting that spirit know you're not operating in here anymore. We're going to confront you as soon as you stick up your head from now on. Father God, we submit ourselves to you, Lord. May God, you show us how to be humbly before you, your servant, God. Lord, I leave this word in the hearts of every hearer. Lord, that we may take it, Lord, and do with it as we choose, Lord. You've given us a free will, Lord. May we take our will and invoke it, God, to serve you. To serve you, Lord. And when it's all said and done, Lord, may we be humble, God, and not be prideful because you've used us in some way, Lord, but to be humble, Lord, and say, God, we can't do any of this without you. Without you, we're nothing, God. Without you, I'm nothing. But God, through you, I know that we can do these things because your word declares you strengthen us. It comes from you, God. It all the glory belongs to you. And we give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name.